uh, acting in a seemingly uncharacteristic way. If something sets him off, and, and the Gospels writers use this word that he has such zeal, zeal, which is a synonymous with the, the word passion, to describe the situation. He had this zeal for his father's house. I, I, I looked up in the dictionary because I thought, well, what, what exactly is passion all about? And, and, and so this is just a dictionary definition of some of the top four things that they said passion is. And passion is a strong feeling of enthusiasm or excitement uh, for something or about doing something. Uh, passion is a strong feeling, and uh, such as an anger that causes you to act in a potentially dangerous way, an unusual kind of way. Uh, passion can be a strong sexual or romantic feeling for someone. Passion is a strong like or, or desire for or devotion to uh, some activity or object or concept. Uh, we, we have passions all around us. Uh, it is indeed our passions that set us into motion, into action to actually do something. In fact, uh, it, it, without passion, uh, we, we, we kind of get in trouble. In fact, it's been my observation that, that action without passion is either very short-lived or is ineffective or both. And, and, and most of what makes life meaningful and fulfilling uh, will have its roots in some kind of passion. We, we are passionate about something. And, and so we're talking about those things today. I uh, <clears throat> ask you this question, what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? And I want you to think about that. And I, I, I've asked someone to come and, and share with us some thoughts about some of the things that he's passionate about. Uh, most of you uh, know him. He, he's, uh, he's one of those passionate kind of guys. It's Dr. Jamie Gates. But I want to introduce you to him in case you don't know all of, too much about him. Uh, Jamie Gates grew up, and come on up here, Jamie, grew up in South Africa as a missionary kid. And much of his foundation and passion comes out of those experiences with ministry to and with people who lived in a society that was pretty oppressed. And the passion led him to ministry, to follow up, pursue a, a ordination within the church of the Nazarene. He's an elder within the church of the Nazarene. And, and beyond that, led him to study society. And he has a Ph.D. in cultural anthropology, if I get this right. And he's currently the professor at Point Loma Nazarene University in the sociology and social work department. And is the, champ, is the head of the Center for Justice and Reconciliation. I think I got all that right. I was I looked all that up. Yeah. And so anyway, but in, in, in all ways, we know Jamie as one who is a champion for the oppressed and a voice for justice. And so we've asked Jamie to come and share with us a little bit and uh, tell us a little bit about what you do at Point Loma. I, I kind of summarized it, but tell us yeah, a little sure. more. Pastor, I was just kind of wondering um, why, when you're about ready to preach on Jesus overturning the tables, did you think of inviting me up here? Kinda, uh, okay. Okay. So, well, I, I teach at Point Loma, and, and, and in the Department of Sociology and Social Work, we really emphasize, or we, we spend a lot of time looking at inequalities, uh, injustices in the world, how they came about, how we all participate in them to some degree or another. Then as uh, director of the Center for Justice and Reconciliation, it's my job to help the school, help faculty, staff, and students get plugged into those places where people are doing something about it. So if you think, uh, we have internships, for example, 
uh, working with immigrants, uh, working with undocumented immigrants in the area, and, and finding out what's, what's happening to them and how they're some of the most vulnerable people in our community. Um, I have interns working with um, fair trade and thinking about the people that make the stuff in our lives overseas and how we can help um, you know, live and buy things in a way that aren't harming people around the world. And then, of course, we've talked, we'll talk a little bit about the human trafficking work that we do. This church, your church, our church, has gotten really heavily involved in the work against human trafficking and sex trafficking in particular in San Diego and, and Tijuana. And it's my job on campus to help bring some wisdom to all this young, energetic passion that uh, our students have. So, um, you know, we, we host speakers on campus that, that speak about these things and bring some wisdom to it. Um, and we do research. Um, I'm in the middle of a two-year research project on the relationship between gangs and sex trafficking here in town. So there's things that universities do. It's my job to help those university types of things be aimed at uh, the things that affect the least of these in our, in our world. David, what is it that got you initially kind of revved up for issues of injustice and compassion and needs in our world? Ah, uh, yeah, so church, right? Like reading my Bible, and I, and I read Jesus announcing his ministry, you know, in Luke 4, where he says, I've come to bring good news to the poor, release <coughs> to the captive, sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed, and to declare the year of Jubilee. I was like, what's the year of Jubilee? Oh, that's it in Leviticus 25. That's when they, they, re, they, they redistributed in such a way that, that none went without, right? Um, praying, you know, the Lord's Prayer. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. And think about, does it look like heaven on earth right now? Does it look like where people are um, being treated justly? And wherever that's not happening, I think God wants us to go in and speak into that and live differently. Um, communion. We just had communion together. If I'm to be reconciled with my brothers and sisters, all my brothers and sisters, then reconciliation at the table of the Lord means everyone is sitting at the banquet table. And, you know, like in Second Corinthians where they were kind of chided for eating and drinking unworthily, where some were eating and their bellies were full and some were sent home hungry. And that, that kind of drives me. Um, mm -hmm. Prayer, communion, you know, all of these things. And, of course, I grew up in South Africa where for the longest time the church wasn't paying attention to the injustices that were around. And we have plenty of stories of, that, of faith through history where the church wasn't paying attention. But even when those places where the church wasn't paying attention, some Christians were. I want to be like those Christians. Good. We've been really, as you mentioned, involved in human trafficking a lot um, here. We've been talking a little bit more about that. What's the most surprising thing that you have kind of encountered around that issue of human trafficking? Um, I was at a justice conference in Philadelphia a couple of years ago, and if any of you know, in human trafficking, around the world, it's a major challenge. Some say 20 million plus people uh, are enslaved these mm. days for labor and mm. for sex. Mm. And um, the one organization, the Christian organization, is doing the most about that in the world is International Justice Mission. You may have heard of them, but most of their work is overseas. I've heard Gary Haugen, who's the president of IJM at, a, at this justice conference, for 45 minutes, he went through one case, the details that took one case a year to investigate, mm -hmm. a year to get the right kind of evidence that they needed to shut down a brothel, um, and I think this was in Cambodia. In 45 minutes, you're sitting at this conference like, wow. Um, and at the end, he said, remember, friends, the work of justice is long, slow, and boring. Like, it's, it's about the everyday, it's like sticking in it, 
doing the really hard work of being present with those who are suffering over the long haul. So the big surprise is we need the discipleship of an entire church mm. to be able to prepare us mm. to be in the work of justice for the long haul. Mm. Mm. And Gary, long, slow, and boring. Yeah. Not everybody thinks of justice work as that exciting work, getting out there, and the passion that you need. No, the, the passion needs to be tempered with deep wisdom of the deep tradition that we mm-hmm. have. Mm. Yeah. Well, and that brings the question, because sometimes we, I personally, and I think many of us, we look at the issues of the world around us, and it seems so dark and so overwhelming, like, how could I ever make a difference in all of that? Yeah. Talk to us about how we can make a difference right. in, in the issues so, around us. Pastor, that is the scary part, right? Because yeah. we're moving, when you talk about moving into spaces of injustice, you're moving into the dark spaces of the world. You're moving into where people are being abused sexually. You're moving into the places where people don't have enough to eat. You're moving into the places where sickness is just constant. Um, and and it, with seemingly intractable, large-scale structural problems. Um, and uh, I just, I'm reminded that um, every sort of prophetic narrative of Scripture and the, and the testimonies I've heard throughout my life from Mother Teresa, you know, to Bonhoeffer, to King, to... We pick, pick the prophetic voice, they've moved into this one step at a time with deep faith. Mm-hmm. Um, with the faith of, 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 of Zechariah, mm-hmm. you know, who's, who, who, you know, thinking of when, when Zerubbabel, I think it was, in Zechariah 4, right, was um, called on to do something much bigger, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Mm-hmm. We've been reading at Point Loma for the last, um, this last year, our student body president called us have our phones buzz in our pocket at 3.20 every day. So my phone's been buzzing in my pocket at 3.20, Ephesians 3.20, because we serve a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we mm-hmm. ever ask or imagine. Mm-hmm. I don't know how activists go out and do their work, but I know that Christians uh, don't do the work of justice. They come alongside the justice that God is already doing. Yeah. With deep faith. Yeah, good. Mm-hmm. Good. Thank you, Jamie. We appreciate deeply all that you do. You know, as a church, we, we, uh, we, we have places where we try to connect and try to connect you into compassion and serving and making a difference in our world. And, and you may remember some of these that we have talked about over the last uh, six years or more since I've been around. And... Um, you, you know that for us, some, some of the big areas where we have gotten babies, we have a big heartbeat for clean water, and specifically for clean water in Haiti. And we've given thousands of dollars to that end to see wells dug and, and brought up. And you will remember that, that the number two killer of the world is, is unclean water. That, that's the number two killer of the world. And, and we've done a lot for that. In fact, in the next... A uh, few weeks, we're going to be talking to you more about how you can plug in and donate and be a part of helping to dig yet one more well or build one more cistern in Haiti uh, for water. So we'll be talking about that in weeks to come. But, you know, we also talk about things. We work with uh, Salvation Army and we're working with the homeless and we give food and we participate in feeding the hungry and, and we do those kinds of things. And as we just mentioned, there are lots of ways that you can get plugged into uh, making a difference with human trafficking. Uh, we have a work and witness trip that's going to Romania that's going to be doing some work with the only uh, shelter in all of Romania 
That just happens to be run by a Nazarene lady. And we're going to go and help build there and impact that area there. But we also do things locally here uh, with our own homeless, our, our own uh, shelters for human trafficking, things like that. We want you to be involved. We want you to get plugged in because it, it is the natural outgrowth of a life transformed by Jesus Christ. Well, that's what we're about. You see, but when I think about the world around me, this, I, I have this little thought goes through my head. I, I understand that that people... Both the, the believer and the non-believer are passionate about life. There are good people, or excuse me, there are people doing good things in the world that have no relation to the message of Jesus Christ and may in fact totally idea, reject the idea of Jesus or even the idea that there is a God out there. Compassion, generosity, equity are not uh, uniquely Christian. But for the Christian, they are, I believe, driven, focused, and, and have their foundation quite uniquely said. Uh, as followers of Christ, I really do believe that, that the exercise of our passion finds its example and inspiration and purpose in the life of Jesus. Our text today describes Jesus as he is driving out the merchants, as it says in some of the accounts of this, out of the temple courts. But it is more than just a demonstration, more than just a show of passion that we're seeing there. I, I believe that the gospel writer of John is trying to present Jesus not just as someone who is zealous for the house of God, but also as someone with a message and purpose behind his actions. And so, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 2, and we're going to read together uh, verses 12 through uh, 22. This is what it says, or 13, verse 13. It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up, and that's kind of important, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, kind of keep that Passover thought in mind. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and in the temple courts he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? The disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then Jesus demanded of him, what miraculous, or the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign do you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And the Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And by the way, they hadn't even finished it then. And you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he spoke of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead... His disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. There, there is this uh, interesting interaction going on here. And the question is raised and asked, why would Jesus chase everyone out of the temple courts? So they were providing a needed and necessary service for those who came to worship. You'll, you'll kind of understand this, and, and you get this idea that it would be very impractical for people who were coming from quite a distance to bring animals with them all the way along the way, animals that they were going to sacrifice. 
And on top of that, the Jewish law required that the animals that were sacrificed were certifiably pure and holy. So having brought your animal all the way there just to realize that, oh, it didn't pass the test. These people provided animals that were certifiably pure and holy. Additionally, the Jewish law required that the offerings that they give would be given in a Hebrew coinage, even though they lived in a Roman world filled with many cultures and monetary systems. There is a a very real sense in which these uh, money changers and these sellers of sheep and cattle and doves and all the rest were providing a service for the people that were coming to worship. Well, how do we then explain Jesus' actions? Two of the most common explanations for this is to say that the money changers and merchants were abusing worshipers by unfair business practices. That is to say, you know, a coin is not a coin. It's, uh, well, your coin that's worth, you know, a dollar here is only worth 50 cents. You know, a dollar out there is only worth 50 cents here. So, and, and they were just basically robbing people. They kind of get that idea from one of the other accounts of, of a cleansing that Jesus did, that, that he quotes a passage from Jeremiah that says, you've made my house into a robber's den. And, and some take that as the explanation of what Jesus was doing, that he was, he was uh, battling against unfair uh, business practices and those kinds of things like that. And there's probably a, a good uh, logic to that and something to be learned. Now, others say that, that it was not so much that they were necessarily abusing uh, their business stuff, but that they were doing business itself within the temple courts. There were plenty of other places. They, they should have been doing their temple business outside of the temple. They sell the cattle and sell the goats and sell the sheep and all the rest outside, not inside the temple courts. And that Jesus' outrage was because this place was supposed to be a place of prayer. And they'd made it into a place of business. And so he said, you ought ought to have been doing that stuff outside the temple courts. And perhaps there is a good logic to that as well. But I think there is something that we see here in verse 15 that, that says to us something that maybe there was something bigger going on than just the fact that he was chasing thing, people and things out of the courts. Verse 15 says, so he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. The word both there is kind of an interesting word. It says to us the fact that that Jesus was not driving all the worshipers out of the temple. He was not even driving the people out of the temple, although they probably left to follow their sheep and cattle, but, but he was not driving even, the, even those people out. He was driving the sheep and cattle out. He sent the birds away. He got rid of the coinage. He, he did all those kinds of things. And when you think about those things, what's the common denominator of sheep, cattle, birds, and coins? It was all that they were part of this sacrificial offering system. And I think that brings us to perhaps a third and perhaps better explanation of Jesus' actions. I think the better one is the third one to say that the money changers and, and the merchants represented a system of worship that would very soon be no longer valid or needed. 
See, the money changers and the merchants made the focus of the temple more about a ritualized system of being legally, legalistically made righteous than it was about worshipers connecting with God. Jesus, even at the very beginning of his ministry, this, this account here comes very early in John's, John's presentation of Jesus' ministry. The other examples come later in his ministry. But for John, even at the very beginning, there is this sense in which Jesus is talking about a new system, a new way being provided, a new sacrifice. These sacrificial systems and symbols and means of righteousness were no longer going to be necessary because God has sent His Son to be our sacrifice once for all, for all time. The pure and spotless Lamb of God. When we understand the cleansing of the temple in this light, uh, the rest of the text begins to make more sense because the Jews, presumably the, the priests and the rulers and those who might have authority to ask those kind of questions, asked him, by what authority do you do this? By what sign and symbol do you have authority to speak like this and to do these kinds of things? Jesus begins talking about destroying the temple and raising it again in three days. It made no sense to the Jews. And in fact, it makes little sense in the context of this passage if, if it's not related in some way. They thought Jesus must be absolutely crazy. But the Gospel writer of John reminds us that Jesus was talking not about a physical building. It's kind of interesting. There are two words for, for temple used in this passage. One is, one is a physical building of temple, and one is a word that gets used for either the Holy of Holies or, or for the body. And Jesus was talking, Jesus was using this idea of the body. And the gospel writer reminds us of that. And we've been talking about this idea of how passionate Jesus was. This is kind of what got us started in this idea of passion. What are your passions? Because he was so passionate. And ask the questions about the passions that we have. But there's something that we've got to remember that's critically important in this conversation about passion. And it's especially important for us as we're in this Lenten season. It is this journey through the wilderness that's pointing us to the cross. And we're in Lent and we're talking about these things. So it makes a lot of sense for us to, to think about these things. And here's the reality. We cannot look at the passion... We cannot look at the passion of Jesus in cleansing the temple without also looking at the passion of Christ. Do you understand the difference there? Little p passion in cleansing the temple, big p passion in the passion of Christ at the cross. The cleansing finds its meaning in this ultimate sacrifice that he is bringing. The passion of Christ gives meaning and purpose and understanding to the, his passion in the temple. They're, they're interrelated. They're connected. A wise man once told me something. And, and this is you know, just another little sideline. But he, he once said to me, you can give, when you're talking about offerings and you know, people giving money and offerings and tithes and all the rest of that, he said to me, you know, you can give and not be sold out to Jesus. You understand that? You can give and not be sold out to Jesus. 
But he said, you cannot be sold out to Jesus and not give. They just go together. And I would just add to you this, that, that, that you can be compassionate. You can do great acts of passion and, and not be sold out to Jesus. But you cannot be sold out to Jesus and not be involved in compassion. You understand that? They, they, they go together because we are sold out to Jesus. We are involved in those things. Having said that, let me also say this. Compassion, I don't believe, is the heart of the gospel. I've heard that said periodically, and I, and I don't really agree with that. Compassion is not the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is the passion, capital P, the passion of Christ. That is the heart of the, uh, heart of the gospel. But it is that heart of the gospel, the passion of Christ, that leads to a sold-out relationship with God that in turn is always reflected in compassion. Understand? You can't be sold out to Christ and not be compassionate. It's, but it is always the passion first and compassion follows, not the other way around. It is his passion that drives us, that changes us, that, that compels us to touch those dark areas of the world. See, we offer opportunities for you to be involved. We uh, offer ways for you to express your compassion and, and be involved in those kinds of things. But can I just say to you that it is more than just a little program thing that we do. Well, this week we're going to do you know, something for water. And this week we're going to do something for the human trafficking. It's more than just a program, people. If it's not more than just a program... We have really missed something. See, the passion of Christ is about encountering this Jesus in such a way that it so captures our heart that his own heart shines out through us, through our very lives into the world around us in the choices we make and the words we speak and the way we interact with people and the world around us. It is being so transformed by his ultimate passion that it resonates as compassion in the very character of who we are and how we live. Let me just say this. You may or may not agree with me. But it is not so much about us marching in the streets about workers' wages, which is fine. We can do that. And we have a call to be involved. But it's not so much about us marching in the streets about workers' wages as it is about how we treat the workers that we employ and how you interact with coworkers around you. Is your life so transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ that you represent equity and fairness and right relationship in your work and business practices. How you interact with one another, co-workers. Are you climbing over people to get to the top? Do you stand up for those that are getting abused? 
It's just you right where you live. See, it's, it's not so much a particular political view or opinion on immigration as it is how you interact with those who look or talk or think differently than you, regardless of where they come from. The Scriptures tell us that there are Strangers and aliens among us, folks. And you may be one of them. You know who you are. (laughs) The question is, how do we interact with those who don't look like us? Do we embrace them? Do we treat them the way we would want to be treated? It is not so much about raising a cry against human trafficking as it is getting at the heartbeat of how we treat women and children and the defenseless. You know who's out there involved with those 30 million people who are enslaved? It's us. You understand that? It's just average Joe people. And it's not so much about a program, but it's about what does my life say when I talk to women and when I talk to children and when I talk to the defenseless? Do I stand for them and their behalf? See, compassion is not a program or a scheduled activity. It's a lifestyle and heartbeat for those overwhelmed with the passion of Jesus Christ. And in that passion, we point others to the passion of Christ. See, we're talking about passion because Jesus was passionate for his father's house. But clearing the temple courts is not his ultimate objective. His passion, little p, points us to the passion, capital P. That passion was his objective and purpose and the heart of the gospel. It is his passion that transforms us transforms the world around us through us and leads us to compassion because it is the very character of God. As we move through this Lenten season, we are pointed to the passion of Christ. And in that process, we are called to be compassionate people, making a difference. In our world, we're going to close uh, with a prayer. You perhaps are familiar with the prayer of St. Francis Assisi. And I'd like us to uh, finish by praying that together.
that's on the screen, would you, uh, would you make this your prayer as we close? Pray with me. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.